0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewurz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guests on this episode are none other than the editorial team at Sports Travel Magazine, our Managing Editor, Matt Traub, and our Associate Editor, Justin Shaw. Matt, Justin, and I will recap our stories and storylines of the year and also take a look ahead at trends we see on the horizon in sports-related travel in the year to come. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 24 will be held in Anaheim, California at the Anaheim Convention Center, September 26th to the 29th. This year's conference will once again feature the co location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this coming year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Last year, the editors of Sports Travel got together for a year end recap for the first time, and we thought it would be a great idea to do that again. In this episode, Matt, Justin, and I will take a look at our biggest takeaways from the past year, stories that resonated with us, stories that flew under the radar the biggest international news of the year, and our favorite events to cover. But we'll also take a look at stories that we'll be following in the year to come, and we'll each make a bold prediction for 2024. And pay attention to those predictions, as last year, two of our three bold predictions ended up coming true, with Matt predicting chaos and conference realignment, and Justin impressively calling that the Denver Nuggets would win the NBA championship, with Nikola Jokic being named MVP. My prediction of the University of Colorado winning the College Football Playoff National Championship sadly failed to come to fruition, although for three glorious weeks this fall when Colorado football was the talk of the nation, it seemed like even that one would come to pass. So sit back and take a listen to our year in review and our look ahead to 2024. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Matt Traub, Justin Shaw, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. This is a pleasure to be with the two of you. Last year, we did a very well received, at least among ourselves, podcast recapping the previous year, taking a look ahead to next year. And we thought it would be a good idea to kind of see where we're at as we wind down 2023 and head into 2024. So Matt, Justin, welcome. And it is a genuine pleasure to be with you with microphones and sounding much better than we do when we normally talk during the week. So, Matt, hello.
1: Justin. Hey, hello How are to you, guys you doing? as well. Hey, thanks for uh thanks for having us.
0: Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's the least it's the least I could do. So before we kick off, we're going to chat a little bit about stories that resonated with us, things that stuck with us through the year, stuff we're going to look ahead for. But before we begin all that, let me just thank the two of you. For those who are listening to this and who read Sports Travel Magazine on a regular basis, you will certainly recognize the names of Matt Traub and Justin Shaw. They uh, collectively have been behind the bulk of our content over the year, which has only gotten bigger and better, I would say. So right off the bat, thanks to both of you for the work that you have been doing over this past year, forming educating the sports event industry, it has been extraordinary. And uh, we've had you out and about across the world, literally, in various places, and we're going to chat a little bit about that. But before we begin, I just wanted to uh, say a genuine thanks to the efforts that the two of you put in on a daily basis to continue what we have started here at Sports Travel and continue to do to be a service to the sports event industry. So with that said, we are going to have a little conversation here. We'll keep it light and as fun as we can, Uh, but we've got some serious things to talk about. And let's take a look back at uh, some of the takeaways, at least from 2023. There's been a lot. We cover the whole gamut of the sports event industry from amateur through the professional ranks. And there's any number of things we can talk about, but Matt, why don't we start with you? We're going to start with kind of the biggest, your biggest high level takeaway from the past year. What sticks out to you?
2: I think that there is a very popular book a couple of years ago, very well received in terms of just uh, geopolitics, which, is, which was called The World is Flat. And I think that has come to the sports world. And I think that's my biggest takeaway this year. I You've seen, especially with the buildup for international events that have already been scheduled to come to the United States and how that buildup has continued. I'm talking next summer, the 2024 T20 Cricket World Cup. You've got major FIFA and international soccer competitions coming the next three years. You have Copa America next year, FIFA Club World Cup in 25, World Cup in 26 for men. You have Two rugby world cups coming, the men's world cup in 27, the women's world cup in 31. You have LA 28, you now this year, and we'll discuss it later, having the 2034 winter Olympic games coming to Salt Lake six years after the summer games are in LA. You'll see more and more over the coming years, the international sports scene coming to the United States. And I think you also see more U.S. teams and leagues. As we've discussed and had a session on at Teams Europe, Jason, talking about what they want to do internationally for their own expansion, the NFL, NBA, you know, everybody uh, seemingly is trying to find different places to put games, whether it be Europe, whether it be South America, whether it be Asia. And I think that's what you're really seeing is what, what happens in the U.S. affects international sport and vice versa.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. The world is definitely getting smaller. It's an extraordinary amount of events that are coming here. And I would agree with you on all fronts uh, regarding the international landscape of sporting events. Justin, anything that uh, strikes you as far as a big picture takeaway from the past year?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest picture for me is just the importance of sports, Um, all sports everywhere. I don't think that sports have ever been more important than they are right now. We've got inflation. We've got war. We've got violence, protests. There aren't a lot of things that people agree on these days, it seems like. And so sports have always been a distraction. You know, they're, they're something that rallies people together. There's something that, you know, takes your mind off of the horrible things you see on, you know, the internet or on the the local news or whatever. And this is, you know, it's more important now than ever. It's so, it's so cathartic to put on a hockey game or a soccer game or something for a couple hours and just immerse yourself in it and and not worry about you know all the things going on you know in the real world as they say you know sports are entertainment they're not really the real world right if your team wins or loses it's not going to have you know actual effects on your bank account or maybe your mental health for a while but <laughs> um but sports are just they're this release that I think that the world needs more than ever and uh as i looked around the craziness going on uh this year uh, I was very thankful to have sports uh, in my life, especially after 2020, when they were all taken away for a very long time. So I'm trying to appreciate sports more these days than I ever have before.
0: Well, that was very well said, Justin. And I will uh, piggyback off of that a bit. And, and my takeaway for 2023, I'll go kind of industry-wide for the the world that we cover and take a high-level look. Just the strength of of sports-related travel. Continue to see more destinations become aware of the power and the impact that sports events can have on their communities. Uh, I would argue we're pretty much completely recovered from the depths of the pandemic at this point. You see it with just the development of venues that we continue to report on on an almost daily basis, it seems, in sports travel. Uh, We know that there's further investment, and yet... We also know that there are challenges and we saw it in the past year, room rates continue to go up, which I think is having a major effect, particularly at uh, amateur sports and youth sports. Those hotels that you were used to staying at suddenly are 50 bucks, 100 bucks more than they were a year ago, you know, per night. And that's causing some some pretty serious pain points, I think, for a lot of events that, you know, maybe their hotels are not exactly where they used to be for these events. And it's going to be a challenge. And, you know, that ties in, of course, to themes that we've talked about in the magazine as well just the no- notion of equal access for youth sports uh, they're getting more expensive and there becomes a continuing equity issue that uh, continues to interest me and we've seen it in the past year as to who can play and who can afford to play so those are continued challenges but despite those uh, that curve continues to go up and up uh, just as far as the investment and the interest in what we're doing even across the travel industry as well you know, I'm. Spoke this year at a U.S. Travel Association event, and we typically don't get invited to those things. Uh, But I think the overall travel industry is taking a a closer look at what sports can do, and that continued to rise during the past year. So those are all excellent takeaways. Let's have a little deeper dive into the stories that we all covered. As I mentioned, we've been, the, the three of us, certainly out and about quite a bit over the past 12 months. So, uh, and we've written tons of stories, you guys much more even than me. So Matt, let's talk about a few stories that you were involved with, maybe some that resonated with you or that you know had you thinking a little more than others that you were involved with. What what sticks out to you?
2: There was one in particular, with all due respect to all of the um, incredible trips and experiences that I uh, was able to experience this year. And that is when uh, this fall, I went to uh, Montremblant in the Quebec mountains just a couple hours, maybe less than two hours. North I like the of way you pronounce that too, man. Yes. It's I early tried early. to, I tried to very much uh, stay with the the, the Quebecois uh, heritage there and the pronunciation. I went there for what ended up being a double triathlon weekend for the Ironman. And part of the reason it was a double triathlon, a uh, full triathlon and a 70.3 is because one of those events earlier in the summer, had been canceled because of poor air quality. And that's because of all of the wildfires that happened this year in Canada and really affected the environment. And going up there, it's this beautiful, picturesque little village just tucked in the mountains. You would think that you're in Europe and not Quebec in Canada. It was extraordinary. It was a great weekend experience, just to see everything that the village has to offer, but also to see and kind of get a reinforcement as to how many sporting events really rely on having a sustainable environment. And with all of the things that have been happening environmentally throughout this year and with climate change still being a giant point of emphasis over the decades to come, we just also last near the end of 22 came off a wor- me- women's, or I'm sorry. We came off a men's world cup that was held in the winter for the first time ever. And it was because it was literally too hot for that host to be able to do it in the summer. I think you're going to see the IOC, international federations, all the way down to uh, event organizers such as Ironman and local organizers really try to figure out in the years to come, how they were able to put on events in a sustainable fashion with rising temperatures, right, different weather conditions, all of that. And to be able to be in that little resort village for which the Ironman weekend is so valuable and seeing how much of what it really does do for the for the restaurants and for the stores and everything. That was a story that really resonated with me.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, and that was well done. You should absolutely check out Matt's uh, coverage from that trip to Quebec. Is that how we're pronouncing it? Quebec. Well done on that front, Justin. You've written a ton for us this year. Any stories that uh, resonated more than others?
1: Yeah, I I really enjoy telling people's story, especially people that maybe wouldn't get their story told otherwise. I'm, I'm going to go with two stories. The the first one is one that I just recently did. Uh, about Sofia Hernandez, who's a pentathlete from Guatemala. And uh, at the 2023 Pan Am Games, she was dealing with a lot. Um, Physically, she had uh, a chronic Achilles injury that kept flaring up before the event, and she couldn't really train. She also had the mental aspect of, you know, she couldn't use her country's flag because uh, the Guatemala National Olympic Committee had been sanctioned uh, by the IOC before this. And also she she had the the weighing decision of will pentathlon even exist for the the 2028 Olympics and beyond. So she was one of the most humble, uh, amazing people I've interviewed. Uh, she doesn't have to be humble. <laughs> She's going to the Olympics as a 26-year-old. She was an incredible person, probably even a better person than an athlete. So that was the first one uh, that I really enjoyed. And also uh, something called Volt Hockey. And uh, anyone who's listening to this who hasn't heard of Volt Hockey, please go to our website and and look it up, Uh, Volt, V-O-L-T Hockey. This story was about people at Northeastern University in Boston, and the team is called the Boston Whiplash. And uh, Volt is uh, an accessible form of hockey that uh, people with a variety of disabilities can play, specifically upper mobility issues. And uh, it's an adaptive sport where they use a a wooden wheelchair uh, controlled by a joystick, which is something you'd see like an old Atari game. And these things go 10 miles per hour. And I'm telling you, the videos are crazy. These these competitors are whipping around in these things. And it is so cool to see people who never would be able to play hockey otherwise be able to get out there and play hockey. And, you know, they beat the Northeastern men's uh, team 13, nothing in an exhibition uh, so you know they're they're getting much better. Uh, it's only been a couple of years, but they also went to the uh, the Volt Hockey World Cup in Sweden uh, in September, and so they're competing at in the international level. They're representing America, but they're also getting other cities involved in this. So maybe we will see a Volt Hockey League or at least other teams in America here soon. And so I want to shout out uh, Marley Robinson, Desi Forte, and Avery uh, Malam. Those are the three wonderful people that I interviewed for this. And uh, it was so much fun to tell their story and and definitely check out the story and the, the YouTube videos that go with it because it's it's fun.
0: Yeah, I love that story. And I'll give a quick shout out to our friend, Jim Hilde, uh, who used to be a board member with me at Sports ETA, whose granddaughter was involved in that effort. And uh, Jim had reached out, you know, kind of giving us the tip on that. And that's how it works sometimes. It ended up being a terrific story. You did a great job with that one, Justin. Uh, I'm going to pick two stories as well. I'll be brief. One was a podcast that we did with a guy who I got introduced to recently named Khalid Cannon, who is uh, leading a, a nonprofit called Put Me In. And they are offering opportunities for children of incarcerated parents to um, participate in youth sports, helping them with uh, any sports-related travel costs, including uh, equipment, you know, league fees, and transportation. It's, uh, as I was referring to earlier, just a uh, Extraordinary example of groups that are out there just trying to make youth sports more accessible to people. His story himself was amazing. If if you recall, he grew up on a chicken farm in Alabama and played high school football, went to Yale and then uh, turned his Ivy League connections into this amazing nonprofit that's uh, just getting off the ground. So uh, I highly recommend checking out Put Me In uh, because Khalid's story uh, really stuck with me. And the other one I'll mention briefly is one that I did when I went up to where I live in Denver to the Colorado High School Wrestling Championship. Championships in April. And the only reason, well, one of the main reasons I was there was because uh, two NGB executives uh, who have nothing to do with wrestling, uh, Tim Yant, who's been with USA Triathlon forever and uh, adam Andrasco, who uh, most people know as the ceo of usa artistic swimming both of them uh, deeply entrenched in the colorado high school wrestling community tim has a a entire uh, website a long time ranking system where he ranks high school wrestlers and he just does the grunt work you know during the championships uh, helping with scoring and telling the stories and adam is a apparently as i discovered a world-class high school wrestling referee and he was uh you know, refereeing matches and I would not want to be in the ring with uh, Adam as a referee. He was no nonsense. But anyway, the, the part that struck me about that is we write about people all the time who are deeply involved in sports in this case, in the Olympic movement. And they're all, they're all so passionate about sports. And here's two guys doing, uh, stuff for a sport that neither of which are involved with on a daily basis, spending weekends, you know, spending nights uh, doing what they love and uh, really stuck with me. It's, uh, you know, there are hundreds of people like that out there in our industry, but Adam and Tim were, uh, were doing some extraordinary stuff uh, in in wrestling. It was very cool to see. So we talked about uh, stories, obviously some high level stuff uh, at the front end, but let's talk about a few things that maybe flew under the radar uh, in the past year because there's there's plenty of that. Matt, a story or two maybe that to you flew under the radar in the past year you kind
2: of touched on it a little bit uh Jason but youth sports industry and how it just continues to increase uh it shows no signs of abating in terms of participation in terms of its breadth in terms of its depth and coverage throughout the united states and in some places moving internationally as well and i believe that really you know that was one of the biggest things that was the uh, really jump-started the, tra- the sports-related travel industry coming out of the pandemic and it re- and just the travel industry overall. So seeing how youth sports, as we've seen it at our events as well, especially at the Teams Conference, you see more and more organizers wanting to go to more and more places and expanding their reach and expanding the number of of families and participants that they have in their organizations. It really has shown that the growth and the appetite for youth sports as an industry just continues to to go without really any slowdown.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Justin, anything uh, strikes you as possibly a little under the radar?
2: I don't know about under the radar,
1: but I, I have to talk about Vegas at some point in this podcast. so I'm going to shoehorn it in right yes, now. Uh, Justin is not. our
0: resident Vegas resident, so you are allowed to talk uh, about your city as much as you like.
1: You know, uh, there was a lot going on with F1. Uh, as a resident, I have some personal feelings I won't uh, disclose <laughs> as far as traffic and construction goes.
0: Was it tough to get around Las Vegas, Justin? Uh
1: it, it was a little tough. As I wrote in the story, the official um, you know, state flower of Nevada is currently an orange traffic cone. Um, and that, that's always been that way, but it's been much worse um, the last couple of years. But, you know, uh, F1, the race itself, uh, after a little hiccup, the uh, opening training session, our uh, qualifying was was great. I mean, the race was amazing. It looked awesome on TV. The sphere showed out. You know, it, it ended up being a very uh, positive event for the city, even if maybe some of the um, residents may not agree with that sentiment. But Vegas just it continues to be on fire. You know, the, the Super Bowl is coming here in, you know, about a month and a half. And, uh, you know, there, there's just so much happening around here. Uh, there's constant talk about is the baseball team coming uh, is there an NBA team coming? Is LeBron James going to be the guy that brings the NBA team here? Uh, just some crazy stuff happening every day. It's almost become commonplace to sit, sit here, watch the local news, and just, oh, that's happening. Oh, oh, that's happening. It's daily at this point. There's rugby matches coming here. There's pro volleyball coming here. <laughs> it's literally, you name it, uh, Vegas has gone from a taboo city that would that NFL wouldn't even allow its players to have a fantasy football draft out about 10 years ago to now it's the sports hub of the entire world so that didn't go under the radar but it still needs to be said that uh that we're doing a lot out here
0: i would agree some of the highest profile events but to some extent i would argue when you look at it collectively a bit under the radar uh, as well and tap adding into that i mean when we used to have the times we've had the teams conference in las vegas years back professional leagues wouldn't even want to send anybody to speak it was so taboo even just to appear on stage and look at what's happened now. It's uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, I'll tack on a little bit to kind of what Matt was talking about and I talked about earlier. But one of the questions I like to ask when we're out and about uh, talking to city representatives is how much of your group business and, and travel is sports related. And it's amazing sometimes, you know, when you hear that half, over half, you know, in some cases, destinations, uh, major markets even, that, uh, that will tell you that that's how much business they're getting from sports related events and, and the ability to fill hotel rooms and have economic impact. And I think sometimes we take that for granted. And again, when you talk to representatives across the larger travel industry and you you tell them, you know, that a, a city we were just in, in, Raleigh, North Carolina, which will be hosting our eSports Travel Summit, uh, be with us May 29th through 31st, shameless plug there. Uh, but that's another example of a city where over half its group business is sports related. It's unbelievable. And that's a large market. So that's, To me, continues to kind of fly under the radar in the overall travel industry of uh, just how much impact our particular part of the industry can have. It it remains extraordinary and and is something that I think everyone needs to keep in mind as we advocate for the types of things that we do. Matt, we talked about international sports. You know, the world is getting smaller. We, uh, you know, as you had made reference to, even our team's conference now has an event in London. Uh, We are seeing all kinds of interest on going both ways. Uh, and the international sports movement. So let's just chat for a moment about that. Your biggest international sports news of the past year. What do you think?
2: Well, Justin, having to give the shout out to his hometown and current uh residents of Las Vegas, I will do the same with uh, my current spot in Salt Lake City and the news that uh targeted dialogue. There's lots of different little ways the IOC couches it and everything. But let's be honest Salt Lake City will be hosting the 2034 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. They'll be hosting it in for the first time since they did it originally in 2002, it is a giant thing for the winter sports movement in the United States to be able to have all of these events over the next decade with uh, you know, with all due respect to Milan, Cortina, and with France, which will likely host in 2030. All these events will be coming more and more to the United States, the different winter sports destinations and resort destinations. I believe that really is also the power of what Salt Lake did in 2002 when they really did kind of build up all of their venues. And I think that was, that turns out to be one of the big storylines with international sports and especially with the IOC and its current, in the way that it's really trying to at least put a public front face on, you don't want to have all of these new venues being built for out of scratch and just be white elephants, so to speak. And so the fact that Salt Lake City, back in 2002, they were able to use the surplus for several years to keep the venues that they used modernized. They kept them operational. And that really is why they're hosting in 2034. They would not be probably the host if they didn't have all of those venues built back then. And it also allows them to look even beyond 2034. And when there is eventually a future host rotation, Salt Lake City, I would expect to be part of one of those cities around the world that is part of it. And so to be able to see what has been years worth of work, By the local organizers to be there when the IOC formally announced targeted dialogue, which is officially which is the unofficial announcement and seeing that they really felt that they had taken a giant step forward and that the uh, years of work has uh, turned into even more years of work, but work uh, that they all are dedicated to. And so for me, that was the biggest news.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. the work Utah did in 2002 to keep their and afterwards to keep their venues alive and keep their volunteer base you know helping their events it's extraordinary it's a textbook example of how to do that correctly and we don't see it very often in those major international events justin anything uh of international interest strike you
1: yeah i'm gonna go uh, a little farther east of salt lake city uh to uh, wrexham wales and this is something that has been a, a personal thing that i've really enjoyed the last couple of years but i think at this point it's got to be acknowledged as. Kind of an international phenomenon. What Wrexham's done, and anyone who's not familiar, you know, you've probably seen the commercials, but Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, two LA, you know, actors, personalities, uh, funny men pretty much, decided to buy this little Welsh soccer team uh, in Wrexham. And uh, I'm not sure why they even did it. I still don't think they even know why they did it uh, during the pandemic, but They've taken this little, this little team that previously had been great many decades ago, but had fallen on very hard times the last couple of decades and had almost been sold and disbanded. And I will, you know, I'll keep it brief, but the whole point is someone like me who wasn't really a giant soccer fan previously. I'd watched the World Cup, I'd watch the Olympics, things like that, but never really cared about the in-season part. This team and this show that's on FX has me totally hooked. And you know, I can't wait for for more. I'm now getting up early in the morning to watch some of these games on Saturdays, which never would have happened uh, in a million years. If you'd have told me 10 years ago I'd be getting up at 7 a.m. to watch a soccer match, I would have told myself I was crazy. But this is international because now they are building a fan base across the world. You go in their social media accounts, there are people from Australia, all over Europe, um, even in Hawaii, Japan, China, who are watching these games. And in America specifically, they are promoting the sport to a group of people like me who are rabid sports fans which is only going to help ahead of the the world cup in 26 so uh that's my international story and and anyone who likes sports even if you don't like soccer you have to check out what's happening at wrexham because i won't give spoilers but the last season was pretty much a hollywood script and it continues to be that way even now
0: yeah just uh, uh Growth here in the US. I can speak to that too, Justin. We haven't even talked about this. My 13-year-old son, who knows soccer pretty much from playing the FIFA video game, uh, has attached himself weirdly to Leeds United. And we woke up. I had to spend $10 to get that game the other Saturday morning. and He woke up at 7 a.m. to watch Leeds United play Marlboro or one of the boroughs. I don't know. It was all very confusing, but uh, he was all into it. So that does not surprise me as well. I need to get him into Wrexham now because I think it would be much more interesting than the game that we saw. But nonetheless, I'll just uh, say quickly, uh, hard to talk about international sports without talking about what's happening in Saudi Arabia. We continue to see their uh, involvement, of course, in golf. But now we're seeing it in soccer and esports, just the uh, the volume of money and, and the efforts that that – country is making to be more of a presence on the international sports scene. We saw it with their World Cup bid now for for 2034 and Matt, probably an Olympic bid at some point here as well. Um, regardless of what you think uh, about their efforts, it's hard to ignore the influence and the impact I think that we're going to see from that. In the years to come, we have uh, talked about how the three of us have certainly been out and about uh, dozens, if not hundreds of events over the past 12 months. Uh, This is a a tough one. But uh, Matt, of all the things you went to, what was your what do you think your favorite one was to cover this past year?
2: This was very hard because uh, thankfully was able to enjoy some incredible experiences this year. Uh, I I should give a little little uh, extra shout out to our hosts in Mesa and Tempe, Arizona during spring training weekend that I spent uh, down there in March. And just to be able to experience spring training again, first time I had been to a spring training game in Arizona in several years, even before the pandemic, and to be able to just re- remember what it is like. It's it's baseball, but it's also just, it's a, it's a fun social experience and being out with a group and being able to see a little bit of what Tempe has and Mesa has, and knowing that, you know, that there's, there's baseball, but there's also more than the game. And there's the chance just to have a a very relaxed atmosphere. That was extremely, uh that still resonates with me. And also the fact it was really the first time that I was able to go to several uh, regular season games throughout the year, but it was the first time there in spring training that I saw the new rules for Major League Baseball with all the pitch clock and trying to speed the game up. And it did make a marked difference in the experience. At one point, I think uh, the first game I went to was the Angels and the Padres in Tempe and just hanging out with some people, having different conversations. And at one point I looked back on the field and I realized, wow, it's the sixth inning already. This would normally be about a third of the way through. It certainly made a big improvement, I think, in the fan experience, and just being able to see that for the first time and have and understand the the changes that were about to happen in Major League Baseball but also to be able to do something like have a have a nice brunch out in downtown before a game uh, go and have a di- little downtown tour of Mesa and have some drinks after an A's game uh that that was a fun experience and it was sports but it was in a way that was uh much more social uh, uh than anything else
0: yeah, and you really do need some drinks after an A's game, from what I understand. Um, hey, hey, those
2: those are the Las Vegas A's you're talking I'm about. I'm sorry.
0: Yes, of course, the Las Vegas A's. Justin, what about you? We had you out uh, in quite a bit this year. Favorite event?
1: Man, this was so hard. You know, I probably would have said the College Football National Championship if it hadn't been the worst beating in the history of bowl games. Uh, TCU had just shown up. Um, so I'm going to pivot to uh, another event that was in that stadium, Um I've been very vocal about the fact that I think that SoFi Stadium is the best in the world. I I don't think anything touches it at this point. Obviously, I haven't been to all the stadiums in the world, but even just seeing, you know, other ones on TV and pictures. We'll try and uh, get you to all of them if we can, Justin. Yeah, SoFi is, uh, I would appreciate that. SoFi (laughs) is just incredible. So anything in SoFi is going to be magnified. And, uh, you know, this one's going to be way off the board. But WrestleMania, uh, when I look back at the last year... Um, you know six-year-old Justin still uh, pinching himself at being at Wrestlemania but not just at Wrestlemania but with 81,000 people for two straight nights at SoFi it's I can't even describe what exactly it feels like to be down close to the ring when 81,000 people are roaring uh, it's it gives you the perspective of a quarterback kind of in that playoff atmosphere and you think Why can't the linemen hear him? Well, this is why, because when there's 81,000 people and that sound is coming down on you, it gave me a whole new perspective on what these men and women do. Yes, this is scripted, but there's nothing fake about what they're doing out there. I mean, this is legitimate choreography This is uh, very physical things. People get hurt. It was just, it was like a crazy physical ballet almost. And to see it in person, the, the different ethnicities, ages, there were actually a lot of women there also, both genders represented, people coming from all over the world to be at this phenomenon uh, that's been going for 30-something years now. Yeah, it was just uh, it was one of those things where I wasn't sure how it was going to feel and what it was going to be like, but it definitely exceeded my expectations. And I think SoFi obviously had a lot to do with that as well, because it, it's like a coliseum.
0: There is no doubting the impact of WrestleMania and the uh, continued interest there remains in all of WWE. I love it. And you know uh, where the...
1: it is next year, right? Go ahead and tell us. It's, it's in Philadelphia, your Ooh. favorite city.
0: Yes, uh, my son, uh, who is appearing in this podcast more than I expected, in addition to being weirdly a Leeds United fan as of a week ago for several years, has been a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And even though we live in Denver, uh, that makes it occasionally hard to live with him. But uh, good for him and for the Eagles. We'll see. Where that all leads. Uh, My favorite events of all the ones that I got to go to as well was probably one that I'd never been to before. It was the International Jump Rope Union World Championships uh, down the road from me in Colorado Springs, uh, a sport that, of course, I was only familiar with in the playground. But this was not playground jump rope. This is serious stuff. And the thing that stuck with me about that is... You know, from the time I parked my car uh, to the time I walked the block and a half to the arena, this was at Colorado College, the very nice new hockey arena that they've built in, uh, in Colorado Springs. This was one of their first non-hockey events. Uh, I think I heard three different, maybe four different languages uh, being spoken. They were, you know, kids from dozens of countries, 1,200 kids who came to Colorado Springs to compete, you know, in this championship that goes around the world. And it happened to be here in the U S in Colorado Springs. But, you know, this is the the type of event we write about all the time that I think surprises people. When you think about the impact of that, of you know, 1200 kids and their families coming, to jump rope and they were amazing athletes. You know, they like uh, dozens of other sports, of course, have ambitions to make it into the Olympic games one year, but you could see it, you know, a lot of their stuff was mixed gender, boys and girls competing uh, on one team. you know checks all the boxes i think for major international competition and if you ever get the chance to see that in person it is highly entertaining and awfully impressive so i loved the uh, international jump rope union world championships and would love to see that one again very cool event so let's take a, a look ahead here in the time we've got left matt a, uh, a major storyline that you're watching here in the next 12 months what's uh what's on your watch list
2: uh i i Tried to use uh, the French pronunciation of Mont Tremblant earlier. So uh, as part of my continuing uh, slow evolution, into the learning here. a little bit of the French accent ahead of the 2024 Olympic summer games in Paris, it's going to be the first pair, it's going to be the first Olympics summer or winter that has had fans since Pyeongchang. We've already heard throughout this year about the just dramatic impact and demand for tickets, hotels, uh, it's going to be really the first major international sporting event on that scale that you've had since the pandemic. And I think the demand is going to be off the charts. And obviously with, you know, it's the Olympics, it's one of the biggest events, whether you love it or hate it, it's one of the most well-regarded and well-watched events throughout the world, no matter what your feelings about the IOC are. And it's going to be very interesting to see how... Really, Paris, having gotten a chance to go there very briefly earlier in the spring of 23, they are very much trying to make this a sustainable games. Sustainability, you're going to hear that a lot from the Paris organizers as 24 goes on and seeing whether or not that kind of uh, emphasis really resonates in terms of and also translates to other events will be interesting for me to watch.
0: Excellent. We got to get some French lessons in the budget for Matt this year. He's doing very well, but we got to get you conjugating some verbs or something. I agree. That's going to be a major storyline for sure. Justin, uh, what are you watching here in the in the year to come?
1: Uh, Caitlin Clark. Mm. I can't get enough Caitlin Clark. You know, she just became the first player in Division One history, men or women, to record three thousand points, seven hundred fifty rebounds, seven hundred fifty assists. Only player that's ever done it in the history of basketball. When you see those kind of numbers, you already know she's special when you watch her, but when you realize that no man has ever done that, ever. I mean, think about the great college players who have been around for four or five years, She's only been around for three, four years. I mean, she can can still come back one more year if she wants, and she's already breaking these records. She just signed with Gatorade. She's got a lot of NIL, but she's got Gatorade. That's, you know, that's the big one. That's the one that every basketball player wants. Will she go to the WNBA after this year? Will she go back? What's the NIL look like for her if she does go back? There's so many fascinating things that are going to go into this. She is the, and, and Matt and I had this conversation last year during the Women's Final Four. To me, there has never been a needle mover like this in women's basketball and maybe in women's sports by the time she's finished. I was flipping through the channels the other night and Iowa women's basketball was on and I immediately stopped. Oh, let me check this out. Never would have happened in a million years before Caitlin Clark would I have been flipping through and seeing Iowa, Iowa State women's basketball and stopped to watch it. She's doing things that I've never seen a female player do. And it's incredible. She's kind of like the female Steph Curry. But she can do everything on a court and she's so much fun to watch. And I just, I want to see what happens here. The WNBA has been gaining steam, but you know, let's be honest. They still, you know, lose money each year. Uh, you know, when it comes to the gross income and the, the, the NBA subsidizing it, these players need to be paid more money. And so how does that happen? You enter the, the unicorn that is Caitlin Clark and. You hope that she can rise all tides, you know, with with women's basketball. And I think she's going to be a game changer like we've never seen before, maybe even more off the court than on the court. And what she does on the court is pretty incredible. So, yeah, I just want I want more Caitlin Clark and I want to see what's going to happen with her.
0: Yeah, it's tough for me to admit, but I even enjoyed watching her beat my Colorado Buffaloes in the Sweet 16 uh, in the tournament last year. That's how good she is. So uh, I I agree. And I'm going to pivot off of that. Speaking of CU, just uh, the storyline I'm watching and. In sports for the year to come, it's just the entire collegiate landscape. You know, we saw it last year with all the conference realignment, my own Colorado, you know, switching to the Big 12, among many other schools, making a shift. As we saw the uh, the Pac-12 just, you know, miraculously implode almost overnight. And what in the world does all that look like? We've seen the new uh, NCAA president already allude to, a, you know, a future where uh, colleges are just directly paying they're athletes uh, instead of these collectives and, and what what in the world that is going to look like and what, if any, impact that eventually is going to have on events and the event landscape. Uh, that is something that I am continuing to be fascinated by it appears right now to be all upside down and sort of a, a train running at full speed to somewhere. But at um, some point, it's got to stop and someone's got to get some Regulation or some some arms around uh, what's happening right now in collegiate sports. So that's that's on my list that leaves us with one last section. This was a uh, an incredible thing last year when we had this podcast and we went around the room talking about one bold prediction for this past year. And uh, anyone who might have listened to that may have recalled uh, Matt Traub absolutely nailing his uh, prediction that the collegiate uh, realignment would once again rear its head as it certainly did. And Justin Shaw, not only predicting the Denver Nuggets winning the NBA title, but also predicting Nikola Jokic winning the MVP of the finals. So incredible predictions. Mine uh, did not come through, but we don't need to go into that. No, um, no. What, what,
1: what was yours again?
0: So uh, mine had to do with uh, Colorado football uh, mm-hmm. making the national championship game and beating Alabama to my defense. Colorado football three, three weeks the into the
2: season that looked possible
0: three weeks into the season it was looking pretty good but i will give props to colorado football at least being relevant and a uh, an actual storyline worthy of talking about whether they won or lost nonetheless we were two for three uh collectively last year in our bold predictions so let's try it again we'll we'll wrap up this episode with our bold predictions for 2024 matt give us something big and bold
2: It looks from all the people that I've talked to. And earlier in the spring, obviously, there was talk about the U.S. and Mexico bidding for the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup. And I had been hearing from people just through a lot of our reporting about the 2026 Men's World Cup. There had been a lot of talk that wasn't looking good, that the feeling was that the bid from Germany and the Netherlands and Belgium was the favorite. Having gone through the rest of the year... And especially hearing some more people talk throughout the summer and into the fall and now that all the bid books have been submitted, I really think right now it's better than 50-50 that the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup comes to the U.S. and Mexico on the heels of the Men's World Cup the year before. Whether or not the same cities are involved or the same stadiums, that's all to be determined. But it does feel like there is, at least in terms of hearing throughout whispers, throughout the the industry, that the idea of having back-to-back World Cups in the United States and Mexico is much more of a reality than it was a year ago.
0: All right. You heard it here first. Women's World Cup coming back to the United States. Justin, what do you got? Which uh, team is winning a championship this year? Go ahead and tell us.
1: Now that I have been proven to have this power, I'm really I'm really going to push my luck now. <laughs> Because this team has not won a World Championship since 2009, and hasn't even been in the Championship since that year, Um, so on the heels of Juan Soto being signed, I am going to or traded for. uh, I'm going to uh, declare the New York Yankees are going to win the World Series in 2024. They are going to defeat the Los Angeles Dodgers in seven games, and Juan Soto will win MVP. And I will be at Game 7 regardless. If it's in New York, I will be crashing on Eric Caldwell's couch. Eric, get ready. Um, we've already talked about this. when they Eric, our fine to the World sales series, representative
0: in the that's sports right. division.
1: Um, if it's in New York, I will be there. If it's in LA, I will obviously be there. I will somehow sneak into Game 7. Um, and if anyone from MLB is listening to this, I, that's a total joke. I would never, ever try to sneak into Game 7. Um, never would try it. <laughs> Uh, but the Yankees will win the World Series, Juan Soto MVP. That's the that's my final answer. And we're really going to test this theory out. If the Yankees win the World Series and Juan Soto is the MVP, then I'm going big and going CSU National Championship and really going to test the waters out. Oh, so. my
0: goodness. That is Colorado State University for those not paying attention. That would be quite a prediction. All right. Uh, Justin has willed it to be. So uh, imagine the Yankees uh, in the World Series. I'm going to go with... My exact same bold prediction from last year. So Dion has brought in a new offensive line. He's got his son coming back. We've got Travis Hunter coming back. So Colorado will shock the world and will be playing, not just playing for the college football playoff national championship once again against Alabama, uh, but they will be victorious in that game. And I also, Justin, will find a way somehow, some way. To get into that game uh, one way or the other, if I also have to sneak into it. So I'm going to stick with my bold prediction for three weeks. It looked great last year and maybe maybe for 12 or 13 weeks. It'll look Mm -hmm. great next year who knows excellent well this has been a a ton of fun as it was last year let's look forward to a wonderful year ahead for the sports event industry and uh, as i said from the outset uh, and i genuinely did mean it matt justin thank you for all the work that you've done uh, for sports travel this past year a genuine pleasure to work with both of you we've got the best editorial crew in the business and we look forward to uh, seeing all the fun stuff that is ahead for all of us in 2024. So thanks for being with us and we will be seeing you soon on this exact same channel. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com magazine.com at sports travel on X and Instagram and at sports travel magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Goerz of sports travel and thanks for listening.